You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in rural places and know the incredible value of the work that God is doing there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and I am so excited to walk with you through an episode today where we review another rural resource. From time to time, we like to give you books, podcasts, uh, places to look for information outside of this podcast that are going to help and equip you to do rural ministry well. Now, the book we're going to review today is called Pastoring Small Towns by Ronnie Martin and Donnie Griggs. just came out uh, in 2023. And uh, it was a great read, to be honest. I am actually in the process of trying to set up an interview with the authors. But until then, I wanted to walk you through some of my own highlights, right? And uh, so book in hand and open to some of the first pages here. We're just going to walk through some of the things that stood out to me and why I think this is an incredible resource for you as a rural pastor. So kicking us off, right? Page two of this book. I really love it, right? It goes through all these different rural tropes and all the scenes that we see in small towns. And as he conjures up uh, the scene of what a small town could look like, I really love this line. He talks about, again, the scenery of a small town, and he says, All these images are like the bindings of old books that contain the pages of flesh and blood people, all made in the image of God, with hopes dreams, tragedies, and secrets that have become buried in the soil of time and forgottenness. And God sends pastors to people in these obscure towns to spread his words of forgiveness and hope. Um, I am an optimist at heart, and I love when books can capture the optimistic and hope-filled nature of what the rural church represents. And so for me, one thing that I loved as I popped open this book was just the fact that it wasn't the authors reflecting on another dying context or or getting in the weeds on what was stuck in the mud about the rural church. But these are people who have learned to look at the same old pile of stuff and say, I see hope there, and I see opportunity there, and I see real stories of real people there. And so right from the get-go, what gave me great hope as a rural practitioner was the fact that these guys seem to get it, right? They seem to walk in going, hey, we understand rural ministry in all of its realities, as we'll get to in a little bit, but also all of its glory and all of its hope and all of its promise. And so for me, when I pick up a book, I want to know that people are not just going to spend time railing against something that I consider near and dear to my heart. So... As we walk through this book, though, I do want to highlight, so there's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff. I I'm, uh, I don't know if you guys are the people that mark in books, but I'm definitely marking all the time with pens, writing down things that I love. And for me, um, one of the greatest examples that I found, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip over to it, but uh, it was such a fun take on, like, how to realistically handle the pressures of small-town ministry. And they used an example out of Mark chapter 6, Right? It talks about how the apostles had just gone out and preached and taught, and they come around Jesus and report to him all they'd done. Right, This can be found in Mark 6, uh, chapter, verse 30 through 32. Right, And Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. So they get in the boat and go by themselves to a remote place. 
And the reason I really love this example is because if I had to like capture this book, I think this book is so cool because it captures how to both have compassion on the people you serve, but also how to have compassion on yourself as the person who serves them, right? Like, um, like he starts out and he says like, man, here's these, these apostles, the, the, you know, we would be the modern day counterparts, right? The pastors, those who are sent to preach and to pour themselves out. And he looks at this group of his disciples and say, hey, first thing on my mind when you come back and report all the work you're doing is that you should come away and rest a while to a remote place. Uh, the authors are quick to point out that this resting is such a pivotal piece of how we take care of ourselves as leaders, right? Um, that there are demands in a rural town that if you do it right, they're going to be demanding of you all the time. I mean, you're pastoring a community. And so Jesus um, you know, he, they use this example of Jesus to say, hey, one of the first things you should do and have concern for is making sure that you are going away and resting with Jesus because the people that we minister to need a shepherd's heart, but they need it from people who know what it is to be shepherded by Jesus. Um, I really love this quote. It says, uh, one of the ways we can guard our hearts from treating people like cattle, because they made the illustration of, you know, you herd cattle, but you shepherd sheep. And, uh, and again, serious deep dive there, but it's like you herd cattle, you shepherd sheep. But one of the quotes these authors said that I loved is they said, we guard our hearts from treating people like cattle by stopping, um, by, by keeping from treating ourselves like cattle. And I think that's just such a huge piece, right? Because I think you and I as rural pastors, it's so easy to run our own schedules into the ground, to push ourselves harder and farther beyond because the need is so great and because there's not enough people in a small town doing good work, it's like, well, then I, I got to be available 24-7. But I think we have to let ourselves be shepherded so that the next time a need arises, we reach out from a place of being shepherded and not just a place of being burnt out and herded like we do in our own life. But the idea is, is that the disciples had to find this place of rest. And so I really love that the heart of this book is, hey, show yourself some compassion. Let Jesus show you compassion so that as you minister uh, to those in your small town, you also will reach from a place of rest and compassion. Now, the other thing about this illustration that I thought was cool is that uh, they didn't shy away from the fact that these boundaries are hard to find. I think too many people would pick one extreme or the other when they write about the rural church. Some people say, oh, you know, you should just find rest and build good volunteer teams. And they gloss over the fact that like doing those things, and I'm laughing as I say it, because it is really, really hard to find appropriate boundaries and to find rhythms of rest when you're constantly in demand by a community of people beyond just your church who are looking to you for some sort of leadership or guidance. However, they don't go the opposite route of saying, ah, uh, all, all is for naught and you'll never find rest and you can never, you know, they, they recognize and walk in the tension. Like one of the things that I love is they point out that in Mark chapter 6 with this story, the next two verses after the disciples are invited to go away and rest is that the disciples get out of the boat and all this crowd has gathered. And so Jesus recognizes that even as he sought rest for his disciples and his, you know, again, we are their modern day counterparts as pastors, that they landed and the crowd was present and they didn't just send the crowd away. Jesus said, man, we tried to get rest, but I guess we'll, we'll deal with this crowd. And the thing is, 
As Jesus says, they were sheep without a shepherd. He didn't treat them as these unwelcome intrusions or as these unwanted, um, bothersome people. They were lost, needy people who needed to know Jesus and the love of, that he could show them. And so again, the heart of this book, um, before we move on to other areas, is that shepherding people is incredibly draining and it leads us to seek our own times of being shepherded by the Lord. But at the same time, we don't get the luxury to pretend that we get to completely disengage from the world around us and the town which we serve. And you know what? I think Jesus doesn't seek to solve that tension, but walk with us through it. And so I really dug, man, just so much this metaphor that they used of walking through this idea of seeking rest, but also recognizing the need for uh, to, to be realistic and to say, hey, the crowd's going to be there and they still deserve our love. But how can we do it from a place to the best of our ability that comes from knowing the love of the Father? Um, I also love, again, as I'm just flipping through the book here, um, I also really enjoyed these points where they could recognize the nuance of a small town, right? Because again, a lot of people, when they don't know something, paint a broad brush and they say things like, well, all rural, all rural towns are this or insert stereotype here. And I just, um, I just love when people like, again, they give you a clue in the book that they get what you're going through and have like solutions and insights for it. For example, uh, I really love this quote where it says, simply put, there's not so much a reluctance to change in a small town as there is a reluctance to a particular kind of change. And this is something I wish more people would say, because I think people view rural churches as like these stuck in the mud places that are not, uh, you know, they're not forward thinking or, or not looking, you know, to grow beyond what they've always known. But truthfully, they're just not open to a particular kind of change. And the authors go on to say the change must involve a respect for the history of the town or a desire to build something that honors its tradition. And again, my heart was so happy when I read those words because I'm sitting here going, yes, if we want to have success as rural pastors, we need to understand that the change we bring has to come from a place of honoring and respecting what has come before. Um, I remember a particular day in my small town context where I spent the majority of my career so far in rural ministry. And, uh, and I had learned, I'd been running a youth center as a youth pastor, and I found a photo. The photo was from 1999, when I was seven years old, for a frame of reference. And uh, it was the, the building, the youth center building, when they first bought it, like first day they owned it, they snapped a picture. And I find this picture, and I like... I don't know how to describe it, but God like walked in the room and basically looked at, you know, Joe, who was in his 20s and said, like, you know, I'm the coolest thing since sliced bread, probably is what I sounded like, you know, in my early 20s, like a lot of early 20s do. Um, but my brain like had to come to grips with the fact that I was standing on the shoulders of giants. And I thought that I was already well respected and well loved in my rural church. But the moment I got up on a Sunday, shared that photo and said, you know, I just want to take a second and honor the fact that the vision I'm part of is so much beyond me. And it involved people before me making sacrifices. And it was like whatever influence I had went to the next level. And so I just drew that out of this book that the authors highlighted that I was like, man, this is such a cool concept. It's stuff like this that is like, like, again, a lot of books carry information about the rural church. But man, this one was just like, Bam, boom. Here's a great bona fide way to make real change. Here's that next level thinking that we got to hit. 
And again, I so respected it. Um, I also love in this book uh, that there's moments of personal reflection. I think it's easy to look at the world church from the outside and uh, and just kind of recognize like, oh, I'm reading a book and it's good information. But the authors are intentionally like they look at me and say, hey, even as you're reading these words, this is a direct quote, whether it's, you know, with they're talking about Mary and Martha, but they said, I want you to pause and wait a second before continuing. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. What might the Lord be surfacing in your heart? And again, um, something that's big on my heart and I think has to be on the heart of every rural pastor is that whether you grew up rural, whether you're a transplant from a different context, we have to like, we have to like accept the invitation to step into the rural context, to make it our own, to breathe it in and out and make it part of our lives and how we exist. And so I love that this, this book two or three times really does that. It says, I want to invite you, the reader, into this rural experience, whether you've lived it your whole life, whether you're just stepping into it. And I want you to know that uh, that this is a place you can find Jesus working. And, and, and it's an invitation to that work. So the personal reflection aspect for me, super huge, brings me a lot of joy when I read a book that has that kind of in mind. Um, and then the final thing I want to touch on before I kind of give my wrap up, because again, I, it is my sincere hope that we actually get to, um, you know, kind of interview the authors and, uh, and dive deeper into some of these concepts. But there was a point in the book, and it comes around uh, about 100 pages in. It's not a long book, but it, it was a lesson that I thought, um, or actually rather that I really hadn't thought of, actually, if I'm being honest. And they talked a lot about the potential for pride in a small town. And this kind of floored me because I thought pride was something that happened to like mega church pastors. If I'm being completely like transparent, where in my heart of hearts, I was like, you know, if I'm in a big church with a lot of success and a lot of people looking my way and a lot of people knocking on my door to record a podcast and write a book and all those things, that's when I feel like pride has this temptation to enter in, right? When there's a lot of worldly markers of success. And I don't mean worldly like like I'm accusing anyone of being worldly. I'm just saying like having people look your way is a, is a sign of success to a lot of fields, not just pastoring. But the authors take special pause in this book to highlight the ways in which pastoring a rural church can actually be a huge temptation to pride. I mean, they talk about how talented people in small towns um, have kind of a big impact, and you can almost get an overinflated sense of your own worth because and it was it was actually shocking to me when I read this, how kind of deep they dove into it. Like, listen to this. They said, like, um, you know, as much as we criticize celebrity pastors for building national platforms to gain followers, sell books, or speak on large stages, small-town pastors can pursue a similar celebrity on a smaller and, dare I say, more attainable scale. And so, like, I just love the candidness where they're like, hey, small-town pastors, you're not exempt from trying to leverage your small market, if you call it that, to like oversize your impact. And uh, and it was really sobering and humbling to go, oh man, that is a huge piece of it because I think we can get complacent when we start to be known around town as the good pastor or man, they've been here a long time and they've, you know, they helped me and, you know, my spouse get married and then our kids and then the sauce through graduation and yada, yada. And it's just like, I think we just have to have a reminder to be humble. You know, because continuing on, I mean, they dive into it again. And uh, and he said, like, uh, like so, so like this. You know, he's talking about how Peter uh, kind of got blinded. You know, Peter has that famous episode 
uh, where he proclaims Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus looks at him and says, "You're this, you know, the, you are the rock, and on this rock I'll build my church." Right. But the very next passage is when he famously also says, uh, "You know, Jesus says I'm going to suffer for the, you know, for this message that I carry," and Peter pulls him aside, and I just love Peter, but he rebukes Jesus. Right. I mean, bold play. Bold move, Peter. But he calls him, you know, he says, you will not suffer this way. And Jesus says, well, um, get behind me, Satan. And and and, uh, and the authors draw this conclusion from that. They said, like Peter, as small town pastors, we can easily become blinded by our perceived sense of importance and relevance. Our towns may be small, but they can deceptively become the center of a universe remaining happily detached from the larger world. And again, Small town pastors, we have to recognize that if we do our job right, we can kind of get our own sense of notoriety and it can help us forget that we're actually still just in like this small town of a thousand people and that we're not that cracked, like we're not all we're cracked up to be, you know? And I think again, it's so tempting. It's so tempting to say like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we're doing good in, in small places and, and, you know, and, and you hate on people who, who kind of leverage ministry for a celebrity status. But like how often do we walk around our small town expecting a different kind of treatment or kind of basking a little too long in the glory of of maybe the influence we get? Or maybe you're in a different context and you're having a hard season. But again, a day comes where if we do our job well enough, long enough, stick around, that even the hardest of settings begin to view you with a sort of you're of the soil mentality. And when those days come, we have to be on our guard against all sorts of temptations, including pride. So why do I recommend this book to you? Um, one, because it just speaks our language. It's not something I have to filter through. Do they get it? Do they not get it? This is These are people who understand the highs and lows, who put words to things I didn't have words for. Um, two, I think it's chock full of good stuff. I'm a practical person at heart. Like a, I mean, somebody can go on a lofty theological tangent for 30 minutes, and I'm still looking at them going, okay, but give me step one, step two, and step three. And these guys have done that in an incredible, short, compact book. They've given a lot of practical help for how pastors can just pastor their small town well. And so I hope you check out this resource. I was happy to present it to you. I was happy to read it. And I'm excited at the chance, hopefully, uh, to interview uh, these authors in the future. And so once again... Uh, from Rural Advancement, we just want to let you know that we are so happy week in and week out to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it. We hope that you're challenged, inspired, encouraged, and excited to maybe pick up a book or look up the audiobook and again, grow, right? Grow closer to Jesus, grow in our leadership, and most importantly, grow in the way that we see God move in our small towns. So once again, I have been your host, Joe Epley. I hope you check out this book. We'll have a link in the show notes. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.